Beijing lashes out over a potential U.S. trip to Taiwan. We look at how House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is involved. Chinese-made drones are at work for U.S. government agencies. New details say departments like the FBI and Homeland Security are still buying them. The Senate gears up to vote on a bill aiming to boost semiconductor production on home soil. But there's more to it. We dig into the controversy behind the package. And Washington is earmarking over a billion dollars to help counter hypersonic missile threats from Russia and China. Nearly 30 satellites will be launched in 2025, with even more to come. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Now for news on the diplomacy front. Beijing is lashing out over a possible U.S. visit to Taiwan. Chinese officials say they will use resolute and strong measures should House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visit the island. China's strong response follows a report from Financial Times, citing anonymous sources. The outlet says Pelosi plans to visit Taiwan in August. If that happens, she would become the highest-ranking politician to visit the island in the last 25 years. We reached out to Pelosi's office for comment, but did not immediately receive a reply. Relations with Taiwan is a sensitive subject in U.S.-China relations. During a civil war, Taiwan's current government fled from mainland China, where the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, later took power. Despite that, Beijing sees Taiwan as part of its territory, even though the communist regime never ruled the island. Beijing has also threatened to take Taiwan by force. The U.S. does not have formal diplomatic relations with Taiwan, but Washington is required by law to provide the island with the means to defend itself. Recently, Beijing asked the U.S. to cancel its latest arms sale to Taiwan. The deal is worth over $100 million. Something to note here, Beijing maintains the world's biggest navy and Asia's biggest air force. The regime is also working to rapidly expand its military presence by boosting its nuclear arsenal, growing its control in the South China Sea and sending record numbers of fighter jets near Taiwan. U.S. agencies are still buying Chinese-made drones. These departments include the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Homeland Security. In a hearing last week, Senator Rob Portman raised questions about the issue with two officials. Brad Weigman, Deputy Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division, and Samantha Vinograd, Acting Assistant Secretary for Law Enforcement Policy for Homeland Security. So there's a report that last year uh, that the Secret Service purchased eight of DJI's drones. The FBI purchased 18 of them. So let me just ask you these questions on, on the record. Uh, start with Mr. Wigman. Does the FBI currently purchase and use Chinese-made drones, yes or no? We do. You do. Uh, Ms. Vinograd, does DHS currently purchase and use Chinese-made drones? DHS has prohibited the purchase of foreign-made drones, small UAS, uh, absent uh, waivers in very specific circumstances. Okay, so this report uh, that I mentioned uh, said that the Secret Service had purchased eight of DJS drones. You're saying that's inaccurate? I'm saying that in with certain waivers, very specific so my, my, waivers. My question to you is, are you purchasing DJI drones or not, yes or no? With specific waivers, DHS can purchase certain uh, Are you purchasing aircraft. DJI drones, yes or no? 
With certain waivers, we are purchasing certain foreign-made aircraft. So you are? I can follow up with more specific details. Okay, but the answer is yes. In a closed hearing, I can provide more specific details, sir. Okay. As for the Pentagon, it banned drone purchases from Chinese company DJI, but the drone maker was a major supplier for the American military before 2018. Chinese drones are also widely used by law enforcement departments across the U.S., including in New York City. The company DJI denied receiving money from the Chinese regime, but it's funded by state-backed investors. The issue has been setting off alarms in the U.S. for years, but the problem has continued. According to Financial Times, that's partly because two lobby groups have been working against the American Security Drone Act in Congress. If the bill is passed, it would ban the U.S. government from buying Chinese drones. The act was introduced in early 2021 by Senator Rick Scott. Washington plans to pour over a billion dollars into advanced satellites development. That funding will go towards systems to better track hypersonic missile threats. That's according to a comment from the Pentagon Monday. Defense officials announced two new contracts that will launch the tracking systems into orbit by 2025. Derek Turnier is the director of the Space Development Agency, part of the Defense Department. He said the contracts will provide 28 satellites, technology that will help counter threats from Russia and China. Both of those countries have been making strides in their development of hypersonic missiles. Turner told reporters on Monday that the satellites are specifically designed to face those threats, adding they will allow the U.S. to detect and track these hypersonic maneuvering vehicles and predict their impact point. Congress has provided additional funding for the program in response to concerns in the Indo-Pacific region amid China's rapid military buildup. According to Turnier, the program signifies a U.S. shift to a larger, overlapping system of satellites, meaning the country will have a greater number of cheaper satellites that can be replaced more often with more up-to-date technology. He said the first batch of satellites would likely be followed by a larger second group of over 50 satellites. Earlier this year, the U.S., U.K. and Australia announced plans to work together on hypersonic missile development. That's alongside China's escalating military aggression in the Pacific. Last October, a top U.S. military official confirmed that China had tested a hypersonic weapon, calling it a very concerning, very significant event. On the Senate floor in Washington, lawmakers are moving forward on a bill meant to lower costs and boost American microchip making. So far, the move has gotten support from both sides of the aisle. NDD's Melina Weiskup brings us more. On Capitol Hill today, senators kicked off their procedural votes for passing the CHIPS Act as their first steps towards passing a bill that would grant $52 billion to U.S. chip manufacturers along with tax credits. This is in response to the global chip shortage that has contributed to inflation, particularly on products like smartphones, refrigerators, and cars. The White House has been urging Congress to pass this bill for months now as it's one of their solutions to fighting inflation. Here's what Senate Democrats told reporters today about this bill. I urge my colleagues, if you want to fight inflation, if you want to create more good-paying jobs here at home, American, bring American jobs home, if you want to keep America strong and competitive in the 21st century, support the CHIPS Act today. 
This is a vote for the future. I want the Democrats to be on the right side of history, and I pray that enough Republicans will join us that we can see the science section of this bill added. Senate Leader Chuck Schumer wants to add to this bill investments in U.S. scientific development and technology, but he says if he cannot get enough votes to add that piece into the bill, they will just move forward with the smaller scaled back version, including the CHIPS Act. Now, this CHIPS Act does look like it will move smoothly through the Senate. We've heard from Republicans over the past couple of months that they have support for this. Most recently, Senator John Cornyn says that we need to invest more in U.S. manufacturing here, saying that it, quote, does nothing to protect the United States economy or national security to have another manufacturing facility located somewhere else around the world. Now, this bill is just a piece of a larger bill that was originally aimed at stepping up our competition with China. That larger China competition bill has been stalled in Congress for months because the House and Senate are unable to come to agreements in key areas, such as how far to go when cracking down on Chinese espionage. So while the two chambers are still hashing out the details for that larger China competition bill, they've decided to move forward with this more scaled back version, that is the CHIPS Act. The procedural votes have started today, and we can expect to see final passage by later this week or next. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The bill is part of a larger package that has come under controversy. In addition to boosting chip production on U.S. soil, the larger package includes other provisions that take aim at several areas, cutting prescription drug prices, increasing taxes on big corporations, and other provisions for energy and climate. But Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell said he'll block the bill if Democrats push for provisions unrelated to microchips. He later recommended separating the chip bill from the package and passing it by itself. And Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo emphasized the urgency of the effort. My recommendation is that they move, move quickly. Uh, my recommendation is that it's a matter of national security because if they don't, these chip companies are going to invest. They're going to do it outside of America. Ramondo said President Joe Biden and his entire cabinet are on board. It's in the interest of every American so we can sleep easy at night knowing our national security is protected and China won't eat our lunch to pass this bill, particularly the chips component because that's the most time sensitive. And I hope they do the right thing. Discussions on the proposed legislation have been going on in Congress for months. The Senate passed a version of the bill last year. The House passed its own version in February. The differences still need to be ironed out. This is not a close call. It is a very substantial national security challenge. So the legislation that we're trying to pass is a major national security issue. It is a major economic issue. And it is one where you cannot afford to delay. Once an agreement is reached in Congress, the bill will be sent to the White House for the president's signature. Now, a closer look at the China competition bill. What does it actually include? And what can the U.S. do to help American companies be more competitive? We have Steve Yates with us, former deputy assistant to the vice president for national security affairs, to explain. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Right now, there's a lot of talk about the America Competes Act, especially the part about boosting semiconductors. 
and it's also supposed to help with, say, national security. But some say a lot of the bill is kind of recycled, build back better, which isn't going to make us competitive with China. So, Steve, how do you see this all balancing out? It's a common tale with mega bills that cost hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars. And that really never happened in the U.S. Congress up until recently. Uh, but there's actually quite a lot in this bill that will cost more money without actually making America more competitive. It creates a new form of the Foreign Service to advocate on climate and get deployed uh, people overseas in consulates and embassies. Uh, it has a number of reporting requirements. Uh, it's sort of a, a favorite pet project of Congress. Now, of course, some reports on some topics are justified and could be helpful, but the world doesn't change based on reports. Uh, and even the investment in semiconductors is somewhat questionable. Given the magnitude of the semiconductor in industry, you'd need to invest in the multiple billions of dollars to really move the needle very much. And this is not anywhere near that range. And so it sort of pays lip service to trying to make America more competitive in this industry. I don't disagree with trying to support uh, an environment conducive to semiconductors being manufactured affordably in the United States and bringing manufacturing home. But I think this really just misses the mark. And instead, it's basically build back better, just put into a different form of outerwear. On that note, it seems right now a big issue is the climate agenda. And as you touched on, Steve, part of this bill touches on that, too. But it seems when it comes to China, the U.S. relies on China a lot in terms of solar production. So is this yeah. a conflict of interest? Is this going to hinder us in being competitive with China? It should hinder the bill. I mean, it's, it's with some great controversy that we have to struggle about whether we're going to add tariffs onto goods that come from China for justifiable reasons from theft of intellectual property to other unfair trade practices, uh, and then have to find some kind of relationship of dependency that stands in the way of that, because we have become overly dependent on China for some critical inputs, including solar panels, when there's a demand for those in the United States. So I think it's, uh, it's something that should cause the people who are the authors of this bill to rethink their approach. I think what they're looking for is an election season way of saying we're tough on China and we want to make America competitive and we'd like to use the taxpayer money to do it, when in reality they're not actually being very tough on China, they're not actually making America more competitive, and if they're serious they'd pull back and have separate bills that were targeted at, say, malign influences of the Chinese Communist Party in the United States, uh, trying to influence big tech, politics, entertainment, et cetera. And then they would step back and say, let's have a China trade and investment bill uh, that looked at that sector holistically. And Steve, you kind of touched on this a little bit already, but what would be in a bill that's actually competitive with China? What would that look like? Is it separate bills or how would that play out? Well, number one, I don't think it's really the federal government's first job to help an industry be more competitive in the United States. I think its first job is to make sure that China doesn't have some unfair advantage by the Communist Party manipulating markets, manipulating people, manipulating data. 
uh, and also violating the rules of so-called international bodies. And so I think the first job of the federal government is to prove effectiveness in blocking the cheating or manipulation. Uh, second, I think that we could do a lot more if we were really serious about this to focus on hardening our home and making sure that everything was done a little bit better in the United States from enforcement of the law, making sure that people are treated equally, others don't have an unfair advantage like China. Uh, but working with our allies, uh, our, our Japanese ally has given a government incentive for their companies to onshore as much as they can from China back to Japan. Uh, well, if other allies are doing that, maybe the United States, if we're not ready to spend the multiple billions, maybe even hundreds of billions of dollars to onshore this industry to the United States, maybe we should be collaborating with allies to make sure that the supply chain and manufacturing chain is at least safe shored out of CCP influence. Coming up, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is calling out China's trade practices in talks with South Korea. Other comments touch on what Beijing is doing to mitigate its growing real estate crisis, driven by home buyers who are refusing to pay their mortgages. That and more after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen called out China by name on Tuesday. During her visit in South Korea, she said the U.S. cannot allow Beijing to use unfair trade tactics. She also suggested the U.S. and South Korea should deepen their trade ties. Let's take a closer look at her remarks. We cannot allow countries like China to use their market position in key raw materials, technologies, or products to disrupt our economy or exercise unwanted geopolitical leverage. Yellen made the speech at an LG factory in South Korea. LG is one of the biggest business groups in South Korea. In April, it announced plans to build a $1.4 billion battery plant in Arizona. Yellen further detailed Beijing's practices. One such example is China which has directed significant resources to seek a dominant position in the manufacturing of certain advanced technologies, including semiconductors, while employing a range of unfair trade practices to achieve this position. She said China has benefited enormously from the rules-based global system, but that its unfair practices are damaging the national security interests of other countries. I think we ought to try to preserve the best features of that system, a system that's been beneficial to the United States and to our allies, while working to address the real problems that have emerged, including unfair Chinese practices that damage our national security interests. Two other totalitarian regimes also top the list, Russia and North Korea. Russia's illegal war and the global energy shock that has followed underscores the need to protect ourselves from dependence on foreign oil that makes us vulnerable to the whims of authoritarians like Vladimir Putin. And the United States and Republic of Korea continue to work in lockstep to limit North Korea's continued development and proliferation of its nuclear and missile programs. 
Earlier in the day, Yellen also held separate meetings with South Korean President Yoon Suk-yul and the governor of Bank of Korea. South Korea is the last stop on Yellen's trip through the Indo-Pacific region. Next, we shift to China's real estate sector. The list of Chinese home buyers refusing to pay their mortgages is growing. It's gotten so severe, experts are calling it a threat to the country's financial system. Chinese authorities held an urgent meeting with banks to discuss the situation. But for now, many are left wondering if it's already on a collision course. Here's more. More home buyers are refusing to pay their mortgages in China. The issue started piling up last week, impacting over 100 housing construction projects in 50 cities. Within just a few days, the number of impacted projects grew to over 300 as of Monday and is still rising. But why are they refusing to pay? I can promise you there are many, many times more uh, uh, developments in China that aren't moving. There are probably thousands of developments where the building has been, construction has been halted, where the buyers who are waiting for apartments to be delivered can drive by and see that there's nobody working and nothing's happening. Because we know uh, that the, the financing strains have now infected the entire sector. Brian McCarthy is a chief strategist from MacroLens. He explains how Chinese home buyers have gotten fed up with real estate companies that take their money, but fail to deliver on building their houses. He warns their refusal to pay could soon endanger China's financial system if authorities don't stop it. To find a solution, Beijing recently held urgent meetings with banks. That's according to Bloomberg. At the same time, social media posts highlighting the issue have started disappearing online, seemingly getting censored by the regime's digital filter. Based on Bloomberg's report, Chinese officials are concerned that even more buyers may follow suit and start refusing to pay their mortgages. The rapid spread of the mortgage boycott has prompted losses for Chinese bank shares and developer bonds. Those drops are fueling fears of social unrest if the crisis spreads to China's financial system. There's two approaches they could take if it spreads. Um, one is the, the approach of really flooding the banks with liquidity and telling the banks you have to finance developments under construction at all costs. There's a more heavy-handed approach they could take, which is to just start arresting people who aren't paying their mortgage. Bloomberg cited an expert as saying Beijing is now trapped by a dilemma. If it sides with home buyers who aren't paying, it could encourage even more mortgage defaults. But on the other hand, Chinese leader Xi Jinping has named social stability a top priority for Beijing. And with the Communist Party Congress coming later this year, increased social unrest could hurt his chances at getting reinstated for another term as the CCP's top leader. McCarthy says it's a tricky situation. The question is uh, whether they can strike a balance between funding the losses by printing money through the banks or saddling bondholders with some losses and saddling homeowners with some losses and creating some balance of how this loss gets realized without toppling the system. He predicts that ultimately a huge amount of money will have to get printed if banks can't settle the construction projects. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on this show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. 
the competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.